Hey guys, uh, this is John here with VP Precision. I got my buddy uh, Tate Streeter from Oklahoma here with us today, and I'm excited to talk with him. I should have done this sooner. We're good friends. We talk a lot of trash to each other. We're kind of opposite ends of the uh, – he's got impact actions, as a lot of you guys know, and I shoot for Curtis. So we have our little – our friendly rivalry that we're always joking around about. But um, he's been a great guy, super fun to shoot with. Um, just a super cool dude. So I'm, I'm excited to have him on. He recently was uh, helped just for a few days on a, on a hunt I want to talk about, and I think there'll probably be some more of that in the future, but I want to touch on that a little bit. So um, I asked if he could jump on here real quick, and uh, he said no problem. So I was look, appreciate that, and uh, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this, Tate. Yeah, thanks, so, John. I'm glad to do it. Looking yeah. to have some fun. Yeah, he, if you guys don't know, uh, most of you guys know who Tate is and Impact Actions. Um, we're going to talk about that, uh, kind of how you started and stuff like that. But uh, Tate's also a killer shooter. Um, I was able to shoot with him at the NRL uh, finale last year. We were squatted up together, and he won um, won the match and therefore the season. Um, so he knows a lot about building actions, knows a lot about the sport, um, supports a bunch of really good shooters, uh, makes a great product, and is a great competitor. So like I always want to do, try to bring you guys uh, kind of the – some of the you know the the night the good guys in the sport and uh not only in skill but also personality so uh, i'm excited to do this tate lives down in oklahoma if you guys don't know his wife couple boys young boys um uh my <laughs> my buddy met your young boys and terrorizing them when we were we were joking <laughs> i was joking trolling around with you about that from a distance and we had we had fun with that at the kansas match but um anyway uh so let's uh, let's let's dive into it. I guess I just got back. I'm kind of cranking out some podcasts. I've been behind, so I just did one with Matt. I was like, Tate was able to jump on, so I'm trying to catch up for you guys. Uh, just got back from that um, uh, that Wisconsin match. It's like the, the day after I got back, so we're just trying to get a bunch of content for you guys. So um, anyway, what if uh, you weren't at the match because you were on a mountain? You want to let's dive into that first, and then we'll go back to impact. Man, I actually planned on coming to the match about a month ago, and I had a buddy um, draw a bighorn sheep tag in Colorado. And Dude. turned out at the last minute, I don't know what kind of buddies he has, but uh, he couldn't find anybody to go with him. And I'd been putting in for actually the same unit. We didn't know it oh, until cool. after he sent me the picture of the, of the uh, you know, successful draw. And I said, heck, yeah, I'll go. You know, that's some free, free yeah. intel. And it looks like a good time, good time to get away to some cooler weather and Yep. Um, actually, I actually, um, got a hold of Quinn Rogers, you know, Quinn and yep. man, he didn't hesitate. He was like, heck yeah, I'm down. So we started throwing packs together and that's kind of the first time I've been, I've been hunting a lot of years in Colorado elk and mm-hmm. mule deer and stuff like that. But that was the first time I ever packed up a pack and expected to be gone for, you know, four or five days. So it was, it was kind of a last minute throw together buying stuff. And I called you and picked up on some tips or watched some podcasts or what to take and what not to take. But yeah. Anyway, um, That's didn't, cool. didn't look didn't look at maps or anything going. A buddy had already picked out a game plan, and we took off to the mountains. So okay, uh, yeah, we're all go ahead. Go oh, ahead. I was gonna say for those of you guys that don't know, drawing a sheep tag is like winning the lottery. It's uh, if if you're not deep in the hunting world, it's kind of it's kind of the maybe the pinnacle of mountain hunting is being able to go either just i've gone on hunts a handful where i just go just because it's so rare for someone to get a tag in the lower 48 uh just to experience it and and be a part of uh something that's that rare to get i don't know what the odds are but it is it is much like winning the lottery (laughs) um i've applied for for well over for over a decade in like eight different states in the west and then in a couple states for my whole life for sheep tags and i've never drawn one and i probably statistically i never will draw one but um you got to try and so when someone does you got to jump on it so i was excited about you going down there you were it was pretty this trip was relatively short was it shorter than you thought it was going to be or or was this so it was shorter. It was shorter than I thought. I've got. I've had matches lined up, and I think I had seven out of eight weekends in a row scheduled up before this hunt even Whoa. came to fruition. Okay. So I actually canceled the match, and I told him I said I'll give you Thursday through Monday. So the plan was to work Wednesday, drive all night, okay. get up there Thursday morning. It's about ten hours. Mm-hmm. Take a nap, whatever, and then about noon head up the mountain. Well, the trail that Preston um, decided to take us up. What it. He, he was looking at his uh, GPS on his um, 
inReach or whatever the satellite uh-huh. phone GPS is. And yep. um, what he what he couldn't see, he, he couldn't see enough graphics to see what was up the top. It looked like a hiking trail, but it was actually a climbing trail. And the last three uh-huh. quarters of a mile was like a knife edge on top. And oh. you know, from seeing a couple from seeing a couple hardcore hike hardcore hikers up there they're like man you guys are impressive taking packs across that and i kind of looked at queen i was like i'm not taking my pack across it i said i'll go down and come in from the other way because i mean honestly you can't like pictures don't do it justice no, you know how steep go. and how yep. steep the stuff is and yep. like it was really it was really a uh, you know a kick in the rear because you could see where we wanted to go we were we had all the elevation we couldn't get across this this ridge and me and Quinn called it a knife's edge and we ended up turning around and, and coming out and I, I'm kind of out of shape. I'm, I'm pretty sure anybody that walks in there, we were probably about 11 and a half miles in okay. at that point and we'd gained 34, 3,500 feet elevation. I mean, Jeez. my legs weren't shot yet, but by the time I got out, I couldn't have turned right back around and gone in the next day. It, it would have been brutal. Okay. And uh, especially only planning on being there one more night, it had been basically walking in and out. So yep. um, Preston went to a hotel, got a good night's rest the next afternoon, went around the mountain to the other side. And he went up actually yesterday. And he's still in there right now. He's been sending me some of the messages um, following his journey or whatever. And, and he, he said he did say the other trail was way better. Seeing a lot of sheep, though, that, that makes it a lot better when you're actually seeing the animals you're going after. Yeah. When you're in that yeah. Were you seeing ewes and lambs, or did you see any any good rams? Man, we did not see any good rams. We saw, um, by looking back at the pictures, we probably saw two legal rams, but, man, they were just barely legal. Okay. Probably saw six, six rams and 29 um, uh, ewes. Okay. So, I mean, okay. we, we saw a lot of sheep. Okay, cool. That Yeah, that definitely makes it helps when you're in there looking around. You're actually seeing the animals. So, um, so he's in there right now. What was the uh, – Coming from Oklahoma, I there's not a lot of mountains in Oklahoma that I know of. Maybe I'm wrong, but when I was there a couple times, it seems relatively flat. What was the? How was that transition to? You said this is kind of your first backpack hunt. Anything that that stuck out to you, or anything you wished you knew, or or hit on that for a second? Man, you know we were pretty prepared. I mean, I've been to the mountains hunting. I've just yep. been lucky that I grew up in a in a mule deer unit. My dad started me out in where we've had really good luck. I mean, you can, you're not looking at killing a 220 plus mule deer, but you're looking at 180 incher every, every year. I mean, wow. I think we went one year, we went six for six. Everybody the smallest one was 155. I mean, when that's yeah. with archery. So, I mean, I wasn't a stranger wow. to like knowing what was going on, but it's definitely, definitely higher altitude this hunt than anything. Um, Quinn and I actually drove up a day early and got a mile in. It was actually dark. It was right at dark when we left camp. We got a mile because we kind of wanted to get, you know, accustomed to the altitude and the yep. hike. Cause it seems like every time I've been to the mountains, it takes like a day or two of suck yep. and then you kind of get yep. used to it. Yeah. So very true. So did your feet hold up? Okay. With the new boots and everything, <laughs> man, I, uh, I bought those boots about some Kinetrex about two or three weeks before we left. And I heard everybody's like, man, you got to put miles on them and with work and shooting and family, you know, I just didn't yeah. have time, and I actually put 1.3 miles packed up on them before I left. But man, honestly, I got I got one big old blister on the back of my right heel, and that's the only thing. So I think that's probably as good as I could ask for okay. out of the situation. Was that? Did you get it climbing in or coming out? Man, I got it. I, it, it was starting to starting to come up at the last um, ascent. The, mm-hmm. the first day, but I'm, it mainly got me coming out. Coming out was way harder than going in, I thought. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Like, when I was up, when I was hunting last year on that up in BC on that stone sheep hunt, we were going up and up and up and coming, we had these just these super steep descents straight down these, like these grassy slopes that were steep and miles long. And those burned my legs. Like, I cannot, I just wasn't ready for it. I was ready for climbing, but I wasn't ready for the descent. And, uh, you know, a couple weeks in, it took a couple weeks to where I was, could, you know, just plow straight up and straight down without getting sore. But so coming down hurts. <laughs> it hurts big time because you're, you're, you got to watch where your feet go every step. So yep. it takes concentration on top of that. And then you're yep. carrying the weight of that pack. And it is brutal. Did you weigh your pack when you went in? Man, honestly, I haven't. Quinn. Quinn had told me he was at about 48 pounds before he added a foundation stock. I actually hiked the rifle in there. I actually okay. ground the end of the firing pit off so that, you know, if we ever got caught for like, Oh, you know, gotcha. Tricky, 
tricky business. I just want it to be, you know, not yep. functioning. Yeah. But anyway, I carried a manor stock in with the barreled action and he okay. carried a foundation. So I think he was about 52 or 53 and man, we were about, I was about the same. Okay. Um, just with ca- my rifle. Carried him for photos. Yeah. Carrying for photos. And awesome. man, honestly, we thought we were going to be in there for five days or I wouldn't have taken what I did, you yep. know, but I guess you got to go prepared. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, um, if he doesn't kill out, you I know you mentioned to me you might be going back in a couple weeks, maybe? Man, if he doesn't kill out, which I'm fingers crossed because I really want to go back. It's kind of in my blood now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back I'm gonna go back the 19th and try to stick it out for five or six days. Okay, cool, cool. That's my next hole. I want to – the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weasel in on a trip here. <laughs> I was like, I might come down and meet you. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's fun to be able to – especially if you can find a ram and be a part of the kill like just just getting up into that country is is fun and then you get a weather out usually this time of year you get a weather out a lightning storm or two if you're up there very long which is always uh thrilling in its own way (laughs) but um it's uh it's cool to get up in that country you sent me you texted me a couple pictures just over the weekend that looked pretty awesome up there so um um let's uh what do you think any thoughts on on just coming from the impact side and building a lot of guns, what are your thoughts on lightweight? I know you haven't, you know, been sheep hunting a bunch. This is kind of the first, you know, couple of days up in those that higher country. But what, uh, what are your thoughts on like super super lightweight guns versus a, you know, an eight or nine pounder and all the different stuff that's going on? I get tons of questions about, you know, those, you know, I want a six and a half pound scoped gun or or seven pound scoped gun. What are your? I just want to hear more opinions about that. Man, my happy my happy range is probably going to be about nine pounds now. Yeah. If I did more of what we did this weekend, um, you know, it might get lighter and lighter. But you get the, you get it down that six and a half pound range, and I may be wrong, but it, you know, we're so used to shooting, um, you know, super accurate heavy rifles that are easy to shoot. And you get a hold of a six and a half pound rifle, mm-hmm. especially in a larger caliber, and man, you really got to be paying attention to how you're holding that sucker and yep. you know the position you get in, or it's just just not a shootable. So. I feel like for not sacrificing accuracy or shootability, I feel like that nine pound, eight and a half, nine pound. I wouldn't want to go any lower than eight and a half, honestly. Yeah. Um, you could, but I yeah. I mean, that's that's where I keep coming in at, and I've had lighter guns, but I love shooting. And, and if if I'm going to shoot a giant three thirty or three thirty eight, one of the bigger calibers, I'll probably want a little more than you know eight or nine pounds. But I have like a you know eight and a half pound six five PRCs. I build a couple different ones of those now. And it seems to be so shootable where I can really control the vertical at distance with really controlling that gun. Um, you know, if you're shooting three, 400 yards, you can get away with a lot. Um, but if you're going to, in your mind, you're prepared and kind of ready for those maybe a six, seven, eight hundred 800-yard shot, I just feel like you're getting, by carrying that extra pound, pound and a half, you're getting a a little bit more forgiveness on some of these hunts can be a, can, can be a big deal. And I'm not going to tell somebody they can't shoot a six pound gun because guys do and, and can, and, and, and we both can. It's just, you, like you said, you got to be on your toes a little bit more with it. But I just like, right. hear, I just like hearing that from more people. Cause I get that question a lot and I'm like, it's not just me. There's a lot of really good shooters that, and, and I'm, you, you know, you're a lot bigger than me and you still want that weight. You know, you could control a gun better than me um, when you shoulder into it, just, just cause you're a bigger guy than me. And it's just like, it's not that it's just, those guns are a little easier to shoot. So, um, right. And as a builder, I mean, it's a lot, you have a lot more confidence sending a gun to a customer that you know can shoot. Um, knowing when it's a little bit heavier there, it's going to be easier for them to shoot. You know, they're not going to say, oh, this gun won't shoot. You know what you say? It will. Well, it may, you just can't shoot it, you yep. know? Yep. Um, you know, so it makes it easier all the way around. A hundred percent, hundred percent. So let's, let's back up a little bit and, and kind of get into the history of things. You already had said you kind of grew up with your dad and a hunting unit. So I'm assuming grew up, especially being down in Oklahoma and some of those areas grew up a lot, doing a lot of shooting and a lot of hunting from a, a, a relatively young age. Is that correct? Yeah, I think I had my own first 22 when I was eight, but man, I had, you know, I shot dads and had pellet guns and all that since, you know, probably I could walk. I don't remember, honestly, but early. Yeah, okay, uh, okay. So then, so then time progresses, things go by. Um, let's hit the competition side of things. How, how did you start? Why did you get interested? Did, were you a competitive athlete in high school? What kind of that competitive drive, all that stuff? How does that play in? 
Man, I played athletic. We didn't come from a large town. It was about 3,500 people, and there wasn't there's not any large towns anywhere really close. But we didn't have super competitive athletics outside of school. Nothing that went you know summer league or anything more than 15 or 20 games a, a, a season. But okay. um, I played golf all over the state and a few states away and oh, actually cool. um, played golf in college, mm-hmm. a division two golf. Um, so that took but, up a lot of my time. It's kind of like shooting. It takes up a lot of time if you want to be any good. Yep. Dude, um, that's awesome. I, I, okay. I want to hit on golf a little bit. I'm not a, uh, I have uh, some uncles, uh, one in particular uh, that plays a lot and is still competitive. Um, it is a very good, a very good golfer. I love the sport. I am not my best score ever as I've I've been in the eighties. So I'm not a uh, I'm not a, a good golfer. <laughs> I don't. I just don't. I haven't spent the time. And I, I love it. Um, I think it is people. It gets a bad rap. People think it's boring. It is. I think it's the hardest sport in a lot of ways that there is mentally precision grinding it out. There's so there's so many different aspects of the game. It seems to me like it. Part of it seems like it's the closest to shooting. Um, that I've seen as far as you know, making those those precision shots when you need to. What do you did that did, when you were in college and stuff? Did they talk about like the mindset of that or very very much of that kind of stuff? Man, honestly, um, I didn't have what I would call the greatest coach in the world uh, as far <laughs> as the, the mindset yeah. or the game plan. Yeah, uh, my dad helped my dad helped me that at an early age and um you know i've heard i've heard you and jake talk on here you have to have that mindset that you can win like not only like actually not that you can win but you're going to win yep so every time that you go to a match um you know it's just you're exactly right you see that meme going around that long range shooting is like golf but for me it's almost backwards of that yep because it's so much less forgiving on the golf side of things because you can't cover anything up yep um if you if you're bad or have a bad hole but you can't let your mind wander one lick. You have to have confidence in every shot yep. or, or you're going to, you know, you're going to let something go and it's going to cost you a stroke or two and, and, you know, the win, but you have to stay focused. That's one thing about shooting that somebody doesn't know that they haven't been into it. You can tell them, man, it's 90 to 95% mental. Once you get so far, people just don't get it until you actually, you know, get into it a long ways, but it, it's, a, you're exactly right. It's so, so close to golf that it's not even funny. Yeah. That's, I just, I love that comparison. And most of the good, a lot of the good books and podcasts that I've read or listened to in regards to sports psychology or the or that uh, line of thinking, so much of it, um, most of the examples, a lot of the clients end up being guys in golf. I played baseball in different sports and competitive skied and did different things. A lot of that stuff is more reactive where you practice a practice and then, you know, you it's it's a different thing than standing over the ball and calming yourself and having all these fine motor functions happen when your heart's pounding out of your chest when your heart's pounding out of your chest and you got to hit a baseball it's just it's different or feel the play it's it's adrenaline it's 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 feel, feels so different where golf feels so much like getting on a barricade in a hurry and then slowing down and breaking that perfect shot so i just i, w- I want to play golf more um i love it i just jake's a good golfer i think i think scott satterley golfs a lot and i i know you golfs a lot there's a there's a handful of uh, good shooters that um i've found out over the years were also very good golfers so i think that's a cool parallel so um did you uh speaking of speaking of that mindset i just recorded another podcast with a buddy we talked about this too like there's the there's there's arrogance um confidence uh uh somewhere in there is needed to win a match how does that work for you what is your thought process going to a match what i mean what what's going through your head at the first stage are you are you angry like i'm gonna beat all these guys like what what kind of what's going through your head Man, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't. I don't go to a match. I know this is kind of bad of me to say, but I kind of self-diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to Clay and Rousseau about it a lot last year, but mm-hmm. I don't go to a match a lot of time anymore to win. Um, I, I've been so busy at work, I kind of go to relax. Yep. Um, and, and not really thinking about it. And I go to a lot of matches and. I don't go home to win. I go to shoot good, not make any mental errors. Yep. But if you're gonna go to a match, you have to like. Like going, like going in last year, I was extremely determined in the NRL. 
um, yeah. you know, to do well. And you have to, like like I said earlier, you have to know you're going to win. Not know you can win, know you're going to win. Mm-hmm. And when you start off, I don't think you can be overly cocky or overly confident. You just have to get in that mindset to where I'm going to do everything I can. I'm prepared as I can. My gun's hammering. Don't do anything stupid. Every time you pull the trigger, learn something and try to center it up. And that's the mindset I try to go in with. Um, on a match when I actually have time to prepare. Yeah. Um, which yeah. I'm, I'm about to get in that mode, but I think I think you know what I'm saying. I mean, yep. you just gotta you can't think about anything around you, and you have to try to drive that rifle and let that rifle do its thing, and try to you know learn everything you can downrange from that shot that you know, and try to hit the center of targets. You yep. know, to give yourself the best percentage. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely been an interesting thing over the years for me. There's there'll be times where I'm more confident or less confident, and I don't know why. Uh, but it is it is that weird balance of it you almost need to be it's not arrogant you got to be so confident that some people confuse it as arrogance it's like did you watch the michael jordan documentary on netflix or the, I'm, a, I'm about 10 i'm about 10 episodes in i don't know how many there are nine or I, 10 episodes you're, in. yeah you're close to being over i just finished it i was like and that guy was cocky but he was yeah, the he best was. ever and it's like no one maybe some people don't like him for it but it fueled him. I, you know, it's that balance. I guess you don't want to be, you don't want to be a jerk to people. You don't want to be, I want, you know, there's things that are more important in life than winning uh, a lot of things. And so there's that balance, especially in this sport where, I mean, I just got done shooting with Austin. He's a buddy and I, and we're shooting together and you want him to win, but I want to beat him. And then I'm shooting after him. And so we're talking about win calls and I get to watch him run stages. There's those, it's like, it's such a weird sport. So there's that balance of cocky and arrogance or whatever you want to call it, confidence, and then the line of of I relationships mean more to me and not being looked at as a jerk means more to me than winning every match. Um, uh, even absolutely. Though, and Brandon, Brandon, I, I didn't mean to cut yeah, you no, off. Go, kind of go. Cut yeah. Brandon Henry, I talked to him quite a bit, and, you know, I've gone after him. It's like, you know, anybody goes after him, it's, you know, he's not going to treat him any different than anybody else. But he's like, I want to beat you at your best. Yep. Like, at your best is where we want to beat each other. 100%. Always. Yep. Yep. No, that's interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a good talk. So, I mean, while we're on the shooting thing, you uh, you won the entire uh, the National Rifle League finale last year and the season at, down, at, um, down in Texas. And it was fun. We were squatted together, and you you shot super consistent. It was fun. You had a really strong year last year, like you said. You were there to win, and that's what you did. And it was fun to watch. So, and I couldn't have. I, there's some people that when they win, you know, I'm like, man, I don't know. And I want to beat you, but I like seeing you win. It's it's fun when you when 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 guys you really like win. So I just you know, if you guys don't, most of you guys already know he won and everything. But just a shout out. So I just like I said earlier, I like to have good guys on here and that can shoot well. And so when Tate's saying something, um, he's competing at the the highest levels, and he won the won the finale, the championship last year. So you know, props to them. I wanted to bring that up. So. Um, What's uh let's jump back and talk about uh uh business and impact and kind of the origin story. I know I know people have heard it but a, a lot of people haven't. Um and I want to hit on that a little bit. So what what did you do for a career uh you know before all this came about? Um so so right out of college, um I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I actually graduated with a chemistry and a biology bachelor's degree and a minor in math. I was actually probably better at math than anything, but okay. I set out for pre pre pharmacy and man, I just honestly got tired of school. Okay. Um I've always liked always always liked working with my hands and uh, you know, putting out stuff with my hands and, and you know, having having craftsmanship and pride in what you do. Yep. And I'm not sure that was the best decision coming out because, I mean, I got a pharmacist buddy, and I'm kind of like, man, he's got it pretty nice. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, I went down that road, and uh, I got into the to the longrangehunting.com forum. I actually found Rick Reeves and um, didn't know him from, you know, didn't know him at all and actually got his number on longrangehunting.com and called him. He's like, man, come out. Let's go. So over a couple of years, I was just out of college. It took me probably a year to get a rifle together, and it was actually – in a 284 Winchester at that time they were running long actions and uh yeah anyway by the time I got that 284 together and went back with him they were running 65 284s which wasn't a big jump and then yep. by, by the time I actually got enough money enough time to start shooting matches they were down to the 6547s and 6xc's and stuff like that but 
um, how, how we got started into this is I knew, I knew I always wanted to do something. I was actually working at a machine shop at the time for my oh. father-in-law. Okay. And, uh, actually it wasn't my father-in-law at the time, but, uh, okay. anyways, married, um, the, married the boss's daughter, huh? Married the boss's daughter. Yeah, that's one um, way to keep your job. Out of one. Um, I showed up at my first match and, and I'm not saying this to brag, but I'm just saying how determined I was. I showed up my first match, and it was a, a prep match for rifles only. Like, they had some goofy okay. positional stuff out there. And, and I got fourth from last. I don't remember how many people were there, but there was probably like 40 people. And I got fourth from last, and I was not expecting that at all. Wow. Um, but there wasn't anything prone, and I, I felt like I was pretty good prone. So I, on the way home, I rode with Rick Reeves. On the way home, I ordered a, a, a six-millimeter blank, powder, dyes, everything you can think of and nice. within two weeks out of six XC and actually went back and, uh, I actually won the club match and, and Wade was there and he got second, oh, um, but nice. I didn't pay. I didn't pay. So Wade got the money. Like they have a deal where you can pay 10 bucks and shoot or 50 bucks for the money. Well, after I just got fourth from last, I'm like, man, I'm not wasting my money, Yeah, you know, until I get better. But, uh, I'd given our business card to, uh, Wade, um, a couple months before, well, actually, when I showed up that match, I guess he thought, man, maybe this deal, maybe, maybe this might work out. So um, Wade and I got together talking. It was after the surgeon buyout and all that kind of stuff. And okay. Wade, Wade had had some ideas while he was at surgeon. Yep. Um, it didn't really go down because it was corporate minded at that time. And mm-hmm. um, man, just one thing led to another phone call to the next. And then it led to meetings with each other. And man, let's, let's make this deal work. And we started making actions. So. Okay. What year was this? Um, that was, that was the beginning of 15 when it all started coming together. Okay. So, uh, on the business side of things in life, um, there's a lot of time, like I've done landscaping forever. I was like, man, I want it. My, you know, I, there's parts of it. I like a lot of it. My back hurts, blah, 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 all this. I'm, I'd like to do something different, but I'm also a chicken. Cause I'm like, well, it's, I've got everything kind of set up and my customers and everything. It's, it's, I'm, and I just want to keep doing it. Um, was it scary for you to think about a new business? Was it scary to invest or do that? Or was it a pretty easy, uh, transition because you were in the machine shop already? Was it just a matter of writing some code and let's, let's try it a little bit on a small scale or what was that process? Yeah. So, um, we were historically, my father-in-law was a production job shop. Like we didn't, we didn't have a large company. We were making parts after parts after parts of the same thing. We were making lots of 50. Heck we'd make lots of 10. It was just a never ending grind. Um, like you never knew what you were going to do the next day, never knew what you were going to do next week. So, um, the thought of running the same thing over and over to me was way better than, than that. Uh, Obviously I like the competition and the challenge of, you know, doing new parts as fast as you can and getting them out, you know, right and all that stuff. But I was looking for something long-term that was easier because man, we were working, you know, Mondays through Saturdays and you never felt like you got a grip on what was going on. So, got it. Uh, but anyway, no, it, it was something we looked forward to. And we, you know, we'd, we'd been, we'd had a pretty good year and we decided to, you know, little by little, we actually bought, we actually dedicated a machine to running actions. So when I got time, I'd go, you know, program on that machine and get a little bit done. And then, you know, the next week get a little bit more done. It wasn't until probably I'd say the middle of 16 until we had dedicated operators and dedicated machines running 100% of the time. So it was definitely a slow go. Yeah, that's cool. But, but bootstrapped and paid for, you didn't go way out on a limb to start a new, you know, to try a business that was in your hobby. So what, what, um, sorry, I got to turn my mic down a little bit. Um, what, what were some of the, if, if it's okay to share, I don't know, but what were some of the things that Wade wanted to do at Surgeon that w- just didn't quite work out that you were able to incorporate with Impact? Man, the number one thing, um, Wade's a builder, and I'm not going to call him lazy, but he doesn't like doing work that he doesn't have to do. Um, <laughs> yep. So so guaranteeing the headspace and the index on the barrels was number one. He was like, we have to do it. Like this, no matter how we, no matter what we do, we have to do it to where we can make prefits yep. so that you know they're not all different and that that was the number one thing um, yeah and this is before prefits were a big thing it so. was before he you know ai had prefits but they were kind of you know low you know I'm not, they were yeah. under yep. not everybody knew about them you know yep. so okay okay cool and so then obviously it's taken off you guys all know who they are you've got a you've got a pile of, of great guys uh shooting your stuff a lot of positive joe my gunsmith runs it he loves it um 
lots of, you know, there's, um, it's been super successful. I'm soaked for you. <laughs> so, um, what's, uh, just moving forward. Are you pretty much full-time actions now? Or are you guys still doing, I mean, shop wise, you still got the half the shop running one-offs and random parts jobs. Or are you all running, just going crazy with impact? Um, so we're going crazy with impact. We've been what I would, I've been full-time with impact for probably for sure. Two years. I honestly don't remember the date I said, I'm not doing any more of this other stuff, but it was probably three years ago when I said, man, you're blind. If you don't see this is taking off, I'm not touching anything on the other side, you know? So, um, I'd say three years I've been for sure full-time and we've had, I'd say three years we've had full-time employees, um, running impact parts. Awesome. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. That's, uh, that's why you've called me or texted me multiple times and it's late and you're like, I'm still at the shop working on stuff. I got to get these guys actions out. It's, you know, 10 at night or something at my time. So it's later where you're at. So, uh, I know you've been putting in some hours getting that thing off the ground. So I just love new, I love new business. I love guys getting, getting things off the ground in this industry. So, um, anyway, props to props to doing that. And I'm, I'm on the, like I said earlier, I'm on the other side, on the, on the Curtis side with, you know, doing that. And so it is fun, uh, fun bantering back and forth to each other about that stuff like we do often <laughs> so man it's, um, it's fun it's what it's all about really yeah it's good stuff so um what's uh so you started with the short action kind of the comp focused thing and now you've also yeah. done some done some hunting stuff and and kind of that's i'm assuming that's why you pack the guns up sheep hunting that is correct we've got kind of a new thing coming out um it's just a lighter weight rifle geared you know, to those kind of guys, I'm not going to get into the six and a half pound rifle stuff yet, because mm-hmm. like I said, I don't, I, I like, I like building stuff that I, that I would like to use. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when somebody calls on the phone, I have products that are, I would say out of date where something's been made better. Um, for instance, the, the, the foundation MG one, I don't sell them because somebody calls and asks what they want. I, I want to be able to tell them what, what I, what I believe in. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, we're not going to get into the super lightweight stuff, but I think our rifles, um, we're coming together with a, um, a new oh, plug-and-play rifle, if you will. It's got a Manners um, EH1 or EH1A. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis Stevens has a new bedding block and using the Bartline carbon fiber barrels. That, you know, basically a guy will be able to, you know, plug-and-play swap barrels and bolts out and, you know, swap to whatever he wants. Whether he wants to go to the mountain elk hunting or deer hunting in Oklahoma, he can, you know, basically have two calibers in one. Oh, cool. uh, that, that's that's what we carried that stuff up for. Okay. Have you have you shot those Bartland carbons very much yet? Man, I've shot about 20 rounds through one, um, and I did it pretty rapid fire to test um, shifting because that's kind of yep. what I was, you know, curious about. Yep. And I was pleased with what I saw. I just shot a 6.5 PRC. I, I don't have extensive testing. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, I know they make good barrels. I, everyone's they're newer. Everyone's kind of wondering about them, asking about. Them. And that is the thing is like, is the carbon gonna, um, is it gonna walk? Uh oh. I'm saying I got bad connection. Can you hear me still? Okay, we're back. Uh, what happened? What happened to your phone, Tate? <laughs> Man, I uh, <laughs> I had it sitting here on the charger and everything, but it actually overheated. It was sitting in the sunlight on my console, okay. and I never would have expected it, but it. It zapped the cell phone service off. Okay, shut her down. Anyway, we're back. All all splices together, so it'll be a little choppy right there, but no big deal. Uh, what were we? We were in the middle of uh, was it hunting? We were talking impact, uh, hunting guns or something. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, hunting guns. I think we were just finishing up the hunting guns. Okay, so oh, you were doing this, yeah. Just, oh, we're talking we're talking the the Bartland barrels. That's what we were. Kind of the the. Right. I, that was we were talking about point of impact shift and long strings of fire. That's kind of a carbon thing where sometimes you can get them walking pretty bad as they heat up. So uh, right. I guess positive they're not. So good deal. So um, anyway, um, the uh, I'm not sure anything else. I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit, but anything else you want to hit on impact? I've been I'm excited just on the business side of, you know, like I said, of just seeing friends succeed and watching businesses grow. So it's been a fun time in this industry and the sport, especially is, I mean, it seems like long range precision is booming and you're a part of it, which is, which is fun to watch. So, um, I don't know anything else you want to hit on that or, or man, you know, not really. We've been really, really, really blessed. Like you said, with having a lot of good shooters, um, you know, run our stuff and man, I can't even thank some of the guys enough. Um, yep. I feel like I try to help them out, but I feel like it's, I still owe them all the time, even though they don't ask for it. But, 
Um, you know, the number one thing we're looking at in the future is, is to start doing hunting, not necessarily hunting rifles, but actions for hunting rifles and trying to get some, um, you know, some actions in the hand of guys that are going up and, you know, hunt on some cool hunts. I mean, there's yep. a lot of, I, I take a lot of pride in what I do and man, just being able to see, I see Joe last year, you know, Joe Walls, he, oh, yeah. he built a rifle for a guy that went all over Canada and it was just cool listening to him, you know, how proud he was of, you know, his rifle going all over and yep. man, that's kind of, I just kind of want a piece of that too. Yeah. You know, so get up there. Yeah. He killed that, that guy killed that great doll sheep up there in the, I believe it was the territories. I can't remember. Maybe Alaska. I think I it was. Remember, so. I think it was the territories too. Might have been Alaska. <laughs> killed a bunch of stuff. So yeah, it's that's awesome. I see him cruising around. So um, yeah, if you guys need to find, is it is it impactactions.com or what's the where would you send them? It's impactprecisionshooting.com. Impact. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I knew. Yeah. I knew. They didn't have that quite right. So so check that out. You guys have any? Uh, if you want to check him out, but Tate's a good dude and uh, uh, that's fun. But um, let's see. Let's. Uh, I don't I kind of lost my train of thought but what's uh let's talk well I guess we can't talk too much you are hosting uh next year's finale for the National Rifle League in Oklahoma I guess we probably can't talk talk details because that would be fair for everybody but um it's going to be in Oklahoma can you can you talk about the venue at all as far as like average wins or terrain just so people have a heads up I know it's a ways out because of kind of got rescheduled because of the whole covid thing but let's hit on that a little bit whatever you feel comfortable mentioning i don't i don't mind talking about everything that i know um, okay. i honestly don't have the exact venue picked out i've got options okay um and i think since i didn't since the finale got moved from december to june it'll probably change from what i originally thought okay um being being when it was scheduled in december it was the last week in a rifle season and that kind of limits um the property that i can get access to um, being the last week in a you know deer rifle season, yeah, that's so true. Um, th- there, there's a lot more opportunities now for for better places. I think for having a match, um, the only thing I'm going to have to contend with is man, people are cutting hay in June. It's like you know grass is liable to be shoulder high, so yep. um, I'm going to have to do a lot of mowing. It's it's going to probably take a little bit more work on my part um, to make it nice because I'll have to mow the shooting areas, you know, and I don't want to do it the week before, you know, keep it manicured and nice all the way through. So it doesn't look like I just went out there with the brush hog and, you know, everybody's laying down and cut grass. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll obviously, um, want to make it as much of a field match as possible mm-hmm. in a sense that you have to read wind. Yeah. Um, but where I'm at in the state, it's not like the Western part of the state. You're not going to see the winds where I'm at, like you will at, clems or clays um we just don't have it here Um, it's a lot different terrain but um you know and i you know i'm sure like you 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 kind of helped md your first big match this year yeah um until you until you md a match you don't really think about a lot of stuff you know what you like and what you don't like but you don't try to you don't go to a match and think man that was dumb or Mm -hmm. i really like that or that was a fair match or that was not a fair match or something but um you know one thing that's important to me is getting a venue that you shoot more than 180 degrees if possible. I don't like shooting the same way over and over and over. And once you get it, it's just a matter of, you know, point and shoot. Um, I don't like that at all. So if at all possible, we're going to be shooting back and forth, um, and, and, you know, over 90 degrees on, on an individual stage if we can. But, um, and I know I've talked with you a lot about, you know, prone and not prone and positional. There'll be a, there'll be a good mix. I don't think you can have a finale match and make it heavy one way or another. You need yeah. to have a good balance of all of it. Yep. Good. And um, cool. Yeah. It is interesting going from a, the shoot, a shooter to, to an MD. Um, you, how many matches you, uh, worked with clay, you and clay did the, the match earlier this year. Um, was that your first one? It was my first major two-day match. I probably ran about five or six one-days before that. Okay. So why don't you talk about that a little bit because it kind of relates to the Wisconsin match we just shot, I think. Um, I It ended up being a lot bigger targets than I was expecting for Oklahoma. And do you want to talk – I know why, obviously, but kind of talk through <laughs> kind of talk through um, – your thoughts as a match director, the pressure as a match director, your hopes and dreams for the outcome of your match, um, which, you know, I, like you said, I just did one this year. And you, you, t- you t- I don't know if you take it personally, but a little bit. You want to have a, f- a fun, fair match for everybody. And it's, it's right. difficult to do. Um, talk through some of your thoughts in regards to the match, the, the PRS match you guys did this spring. 
Man, we were we were pretty happy with how it turned out. Obviously, yep. the first time you can think you have everything under control, and there's always going to be something roll up that you know you weren't expecting or um, you know you, you hadn't thought of. But man, you just got to roll best with it. But um, as far as our match win, our partnership, um, Clay did all the computer stuff, all the enrollment or mm-hmm. uh, registration, and he did all the stage descriptions, and I set up the target tree. And with that being said, I like a match where precision comes into play more than like three gun getting shots off. I, I like a match where you can get all your shots off and watch all your hits or misses. Like you have time to do that. You don't feel like, Hey, I got to pull the trigger and then go. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, I actually got a hold of Charles Roberts. And the reason I did is because, um, he has a hit probability calculator and I'd seen him post a couple times on it. And I had him send me numbers, for a certain size, like I say, I wanted the winner to hit 85. Uh, percent yep. I think I think what we did was make the gun like the the probability of the actual accuracy of a one minute gun being 92 percent on a target, and then you plug in shooter error, and I think that took it down to 85. percent We were aiming for 85 percent for okay. a winner. Okay. And you know your target size has changed drastically from a you know five to seven to a 18 to 20 mile per hour wind so mm-hmm. i actually set the whole course of fire up and then the day before <laughs> went out and reset almost every target because you know we really wanted that to be right and yeah you know, for, I those, think it, for those of you that don't know your average what's your average down there kind of the 10 to 20 mile an hour range i would i, I would say yeah that it, it very rarely gets under 10 okay um, in the so, spring so for sure. 15 to 20 ish was you're kind of planning for and then what rolled in was gusts stuff over 40. I, it's been a while, but it was, I can't remember. It was supposed so, to be a huge wind is all I remember. <laughs> yeah. So, so a week out, it was supposed to be like 12 to 15. And we set the match up the weekend before and all but a couple targets that I had to actually call Jake and order some targets in fast. So we kind of thought, Oh, it'd be cool to have one of these here. But mm-hmm. anyway, as it kept getting closer, it kept going up and I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm going to make a bunch of guys yelling at me. So, um, we had all the targets. We just didn't, we hadn't, you know, didn't have them out. And, uh, yeah. I, uh, I swapped them to the last minute because it was like, I, I'm wanting to say lows in the morning was going to be 18. Yeah. And I think it was calling like 18 to 25. Some guys got more than that. Yeah, uh, but what I... makes that range so tough is, you know, there's a couple stages where you're shooting, you're, you're, you're shooting into it and then you shoot, you know, basically a 1030 or something like that. And man, it's not very forgiving when it's 20 miles an hour and you're, yep. you know, changing degrees of fire. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think I recorded, I definitely recorded wins in the thirties, I think upper thirties on, on, on part of it. So, um, it was, it was, it was sporty. It was good. But that being said, it's, it's, it can be difficult. Weather makes the make can make or break these matches. Um, you know, we just got back for that Wisconsin match where I was talking to the guys that said the week before was 10 to 15 miles an hour, super tall, like out in Oklahoma, you got dusty and dry when you see, you usually can see your misses pretty good. Uh, shorter grass, not as thick up in Wisconsin. It's an absolute jungle, four foot tall grass. It's as thick as can be, as green as can be. Everything's a jungle. If you miss a target, you see nothing that just the, ter- the terrain, the vegetation just eats it. Well, if the wind was blowing 15 or 20 and you put up small targets, you could miss all day long and never see where you went. Um, Trace Trace was a little bit tough to pick up. And so there were some fair-sized targets up, uh, some bigger-sized targets. Well, if it blows 10 or 15, you're going to have a probably in that 80% hit ratio. Well, the wind just didn't blow until right when the match ended. The storm was coming in. But for those Saturday, Sunday, it was very calm. Well, you had big targets and calm conditions. changes match dynamics. So it's really interesting – um, you know, as a, I've got a, you know, a lot of grace at being a match director. You, you want, you know, it poured at our match on Saturday. Absolutely poured. Some things you just can't control. So we were, we were moving helicopter days around and moving target, just changing, changing things around. Some things you can't control. So it's interesting. I remember yours being a big change. I know you were out there late swapping targets. Um, um, you know, trying to go bigger so people could hit, you know, some of the bigger wins and stuff. So it's just, I just wanted to hit on that from a shooter's perspective is don't be too hard on mds um not saying anybody's hard on you or anyone else but um just in general like a little grace because stuff can it's it's hard you got to get lucky with wind to have a really fair good match weather is part of that and the some of the best matches just have real consistent conditions where everyone's kind of shooting in the same general you know maybe the guys in the morning have a little bit of wind and the guys in the afternoon do too it's not dead calm for four hours and then picks up and guys could get wind screwed it seems like the best matches seem to be pretty consistent throughout the day 
and right. that's that's out of the match director's control, obviously. So I just yeah. just throw that out there. But Manny, there's a lot of things that go on that you don't know unless you are a match director. Yep. You know, if I if I'd have put the bigger targets up, and then we'd have had a five mile an hour win, then we'd have had the reputation of having a meatball match, which I don't yep. necessarily like. Yep. Um, yep. You just you want to have a good fair match. And another thing that was, and 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 I will, I, I may fail, who knows? But one thing that I'm very conscious conscientious about is whether you have 15 or 20 stages. I want all 15 or 20 stages to mean something. Yep. You can't have, you know, one stage that is a match breaker yeah. um, of Preach. a stage and, you know. Preach. <laughs> so, so, you know, and I'm not saying people go at that blindly and don't think of it, but that'll be, yep. you know, on my design plan, that'll be one thing where I have 18 to 20 stages of it equally challenging as I, as I think I can possibly do. Yep. And that'll be big. I love that. But that was a pro this week. Every match, every stage was a little different. Um, just challenge you in different ways and i do like there's been matches where you you know you'll get there'll be 10 or 12 really easy stages and then there's two or three really hard stages and if you hit those hard stages right that's the match and i i can't agree more and i think the only way you can really get a handle on that is by shooting a bunch and not all the match directors can shoot as much as we've been able to so you know that is what it is but but yeah it'll be fun it's always fun when you have um top level shooter setup matches so i'm looking forward to what you come up with and we don't have to compete against you so win-win <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> so Pre- pressure's off me yeah oh for sure yeah um um have you guys this is a random question have you messed with 22s much have you been shooting those at all with all the talk of 22 league starting and prs and nrl's been doing theirs or man i haven't and and really john it's because i don't have time to fit anything else in yeah um Fair enough. I mean, I would have fun at it, and I can see it'll get a lot of guys into the type of sport we're doing. And and I bought a, I actually bought a Remex and put in a foundation and had Travis Stevens at TS Customs send me a, a barrel. And uh, my oh, wife's cool. actually going to shoot the gap grind with me this fall. Oh, nice. So, I mean, she can shoot and she hunts. I mean, she goes hunting by herself this year. She said, "I want to go hunt tonight." I said, "Here's the gun." She went out and shot a buck. And I mean, she knows what she's doing, but nice. you know, you really need to put some rounds down range. And the best way to do that was to get a 22. So we've got a 22 down. We've probably got about 500 rounds through it, but cool. I personally haven't shot it. Okay. Okay. Right on. I just throw it out. There's a lot of questions. A lot of guys are into that right now. Um, I, yeah. I want to hit on, um, uh, found some foundation questions just because, uh, I, I don't know the answers and I should, um, okay. from the outside looking in a lot of people, because I, I know I have, I, not as much now as I know a little bit more, but I know a lot of guys looking in are like, well, impact and foundation are the same thing um, in regards, obviously not the same product, but you guys came up together. You, I, I think the businesses are in relatively close proximity to each other. Are they, I mean, they're in Oklahoma, right? They're in Oklahoma. Um, they're probably, from where I'm building my new house, they're about 13 minute, about a 13-minute drive. Okay, so, so really re- close. Real close. Okay, so can you walk people through the dynamic of, of that? Because for me, it's always like impact foundation. Is like that's just it's they just go kind of hand in hand and that's what everyone's doing so let's let's at least just talk about it a little bit so it's it's John Kyle uh, Truett true John Kyle Truett sorry and um, yeah. that he started that I should run run us through that a little bit enlighten me all right so I'll tell you I'll tell you the whole a uh, quick story so okay John Kyle used to sell machine tools and he and he called on us um he sold uh Hyundai machine tools a couple okay. other brands but Hyundai was a mill he was trying to sell us and we'd actually already started making actions and all this kind of stuff so um and he and he called on us and we didn't really do anything with him but we didn't we didn't need what he was selling but mm-hmm. um he was asking for shop names and before he knew it he'd been in Wade's shop he'd been in um another shop that we know here close by. And, um, after about six months, he was like, man, this, this really isn't getting it to me. He said, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a veteran. Um, I want to make something in the industry. I mean, I want to be in manufacturing. I'm kind of tired of selling machine tools. Mm-hmm. So he kind of asked around, uh, myself and Wade and asked what, you know, what is, where, where's the void that I can, um, fill in that, you know, the industry's lacking right now. And it was basically lead time on stocks. Yep. And, um, so he sat out on that. Next thing I know, a year later, he has worked out a deal um, with a machine shop that we knew that's very talented machine shop. And basically um, he was doing a little bit of work for them, but they were prototyping his stocks and um, hmm. he got going there. And when he got his first couple stocks out, obviously Wade had the most, um, he had the most put on the first stock 
Um, I think I got the second stock or something like that, but oh, Wade cool. worked a lot with him on, you know, what it needed and what he thought it needed and, you know, do's and do nots. And anyway, um, I got my first one and man, I immediately, you know, one of the things that we love the guys that she found like about them is, um, you don't absolutely have to bet them. Um, I know different mm-hmm. guys have different, um, opinions on that. Um, I've never betted a foundation and honestly, I've never seen a, a need need to, but okay. I, I'm also, I'm not against it if somebody wants to, but, um, anyway, that was one thing he set out to do was make it out of a material that he could finish machine to tolerances and take a little bit more time in the machining process to make it exact. Um, okay. but we won't go on to that, but you know, no, I mean, that's all the, interesting. This is all, that's cool. But yeah. So, so, you know, and, and here again, um, I don't think you'll get mad, but Wade being, I wouldn't call him lazy, but smart enough to say, Hey, if you take a little bit more time and make this part perfect, I don't have to take hours on my end. And, and really, yeah, more production mindset with the actions and the stocks. Exactly. And I mean, you know, actually being more builder friendly, I mean, the less work a guy has to do on your parts to get them to shoot or, or work together, the happier they're going to be in the long run. And, um, you know, they really set out and, and, machined it in a way that it could be you know exact i mean if you drop an action in a stock um and bolt it down and, and unbolt it you can turn it upside down hold it with whatever you want it's not going to fall out um wow okay so just throw a wrench in your in your story i i shoot for joe exodus awesome guy you guys are tight you guys you got you hooked him up with a it's a property where he killed that giant buck last year. You were part of that, which is awesome. Right. So you guys are close. And he is a betting fanatic, and he's turning me into one. Um, I've right. had lots of guns and chassis that weren't bedded, and they've been totally fine. And now I just bet everything. I've been betting everything. All my buddies give Pence gives me a hard time, and Dan, they're always talking trash. You don't need to bet everything, and I just, I just do it. And I and he <laughs> does still bed some foundations, right? He he does. He does them all. And, and like I said, I'm not against that, Joe. You know, Joe's a good builder, and sometimes he's hard-headed. And, yep. you know, sometimes if you just, you know, cross your T's and doctor out, you don't have anything to worry about, and I get it. I mean, I don't hold it against him. So um, be- because those foundations are so tight to bed those, you got to probably do a decent amount of milling or, or to get some of that material out of the way if they're – because that's an awesome fit if they're if they suction uh, in there like that. Honestly, I've never bedded one, so I don't know. I, <laughs> good I haven't even talked to Jeff. He doesn't talk to me about it because he knows I don't want to hear it. And I oh, no, I shouldn't have brought it up. I didn't know it was a sore subject for real. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's just a, it's just a good buddy thing. It's That's not anything awesome. big. But. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So they're they're machining those like they're machining an action then, essentially, and probably the same type of machinery, lathes and stuff. Right, right. CNC machines. Okay, so now so he gets that product, and you start seeing them, and you're pretty stoked with it, obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, the best thing I actually put it on my sock and thought, man, I'll give it a whirl. Honestly, to be completely honest, I didn't like the look of it. Um, it was, it was an ugly finish the first couple and actually the inside, it was just like any more or less prototype you can think of. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I honestly thought I'm going to give it a whirl, but I I won't really like it. I was a McMillan, a five manners, T four, a kind of guy right there. I'd I'd literally use one at each match and not care what I was using because they were the same. But anyway, I got to shooting, um, the, uh, the foundation and, and actually went back to an a5 and man the way it kicked was just or the way it recoiled was just so much different I, I didn't really know how much i liked it until i went back okay and it's just something about the material and the way it absorbs recoil and and the you know it being in user friendly i mean we build we build rifles on them you know every week i'm not going to say every day but yep. we build a lot of rifles on them and they all shoot cool so cool you know they're just really an easy product okay so so now we're John's got that product going, and then how does how does why does everybody think you guys are the same? I mean, obviously, a lot of people know that you're not, but you right. know, you guys, that's got to be right in the same time period as you're getting your first actions done, or a little bit after. I would say, if I had to guess, I would say it was probably almost the full two years, at least eighteen months after um, okay. after we got the. But um, we first, you know, obviously, I shot it. Um, it started moving around Oklahoma and then some guys had success winning with them. And that was probably the first, we don't sell too many rifles because, mm-hmm. um, we don't want to compete with our builders, builder dealers. Um, we want yep. them to have the custom market, but at the same time we have guys call us and just want a rifle built by us. So okay. we don't offer too many options, but we do offer the impact foundation rifle. And I'm sure that's probably where, you know, it started out in impact foundation okay, cool. uh, with the guys around Oklahoma shoot them. Cause it's pretty much the choice in Oklahoma. I mean, there are some guys that don't use it, but yep. you know, it's, it's 
Yeah, and the Kyles are great people. They're I've met them just a little bit now. I met them at your match and seemed like seemed like uh, right. super cool people. So anyway, I just want to ask about that because I had that question earlier. I'm always wondered so and they're doing good i mean that's kind of cool so apparently he's done selling tools and now he's got a full-time business in the industry as well which is awesome so yes sir pretty cool all right um um any so what are your plans for the rest of the year we'll start wrapping this up another almost to an hour but um what uh kind of probably not shooting as much nrl since you're hosting the finale or or what are your thoughts on on that man that that is true um I'm kind of missing some of the NRL matches because that tends to be the kind of shooting that I, I, I uh, excel at is the more field-type matches. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, it, I, I am competitive, and I want I, I like going for the points, and I'm going to focus on the PRS side of things um, this year to get points. So yep. I've kind of I kind of hit so far the AG matches um, to get qualified up for that AG Cup yep. um, this year, and I hadn't really practiced how I ought to, but come later in the fall – um, when it gets, starts getting closer to finale, I'm going to hit it hard and, yep. and chase some matches and try to get in, in tune. I do, I do most of my training and most of my practicing at matches. So yeah, um, that's a, the it, best way to do it is shoot every other weekend or every third weekend or yep. something like that. I agree. All right. I can't, I can't close it up or let you off until we talk about wind. Um, Oklahoma boys are known for loving their prone troop lines <laughs> and we, we banter about this back and forth and uh, let's, we we gotta talk about talk. Let's talk about it. What, obviously, it's all. It's not maybe not always, but from the outside looking in, it's always blowing down there. Um, did you guys start doing a lot of belly matches? Did why the love for troop lines? Um. So, I guess I can't start answering that question as as you and I think a little bit differently on all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um. Which which is okay because we both agree to disagree. Oh yeah. Um, and it's fun debate. So. <laughs> but um, I the the belly match thing started. That's what OPPS kind of originated um, as was was belly matches. Actually, they have the Butch's belly match. Yep. In Oklahoma, which was one of the oldest matches here. Um, there there was a strong shooting crowd with Wade. Wade was pretty dominant back in the early days, mm-hmm. and there was a strong crowd in Oklahoma that shot. Well, when the PRS started in 2012, I believe, um, they started going to these PRS matches and, and I think how I'm pretty sure how it evolved is, you know, you'd go to a match and they'd have something new, whether it be a rocking platform or a barricade or tree down or whatever. Well, um, you had, um, Tim long and Wade, um, coming back to Oklahoma and they put a stage like that in their match. And, you know, over time evolved to where an OPPS match was basically a PRS training match. So it has evolved more into um, a mix of both. But in Oklahoma, I think, and, and out west where you're at, yep. it's we have the ability to shoot a field match. Most of us started shooting because of hunting, mm-hmm. and we like to have a stage in which you know, you're more in a hunting-type scenario. Yep. I don't have anything against barricades and all that kind of stuff. The stuff that really gets me is when you have to force your shots or rush. I and mean, I guess a guy doesn't really have to force your shots, but it's that – you know, throwing a time factory on, on the barricade, you know, I don't think, I don't think go together. I think I like, I like to being able to take your time and use the precision of your rifle. But I think, I think the main thing is the Oklahoma guys, like we have the ability to shoot a field match and, and we like making more hunting type scenarios. And I mean, even you'll agree. I mean, yep. when you're sheep, sheep hunting or elk hunting, you don't know what you're going to be shooting off of. So you need to be, you know, tuned up for whatever, but most of the time you're going to get to low as the ground as you can every time you take yep. those shots. Yep. So, yeah. So, uh, tangent on that. I completely agree. I hear these different people talking about hunting and how you, you have to be so proficient off a tripod to hunt and carry really right stuff. I've never done that. I carry a super light tripod to glass off of. I've shot piles of animals and I've moved around and got prone on some sort of prone, modified prone on pretty much everything. I've never shot an animal off a tripod. I'm sure I will. Um, they're great for predator hunting, for coyote hunting. They're great in the prairies. I generally have hunted more in the mountains. Um, if you're glassing an unaware animal, you can almost always move up or down or side or clear grass. I mean, we've spent time in the flat. We've cleared grass for 10 minutes for this animal that was feeding up on the side of the hill, 800 yards, because <laughs> we couldn't get in close. Cause it was so, it got, it was just, it was just this big swamp. And we're like, 
all right, we had guys set the gun, and then guys were just um, were we had this little saw, and we were cutting these willows down as fast <laughs> as we could. We cut this little tiny strip where you could get prone and make a shot. And so, um, absolutely, it's a skill. Um, I to- I totally agree with that. Um, I just we go back and forth like as far as the competitions goes. I just to me, you know, belly shooting gets a little old. I think it needs to be in every match, and it is. Um, some more than others, but um, I just I got to bring it up. But why why you guys are great um, at it? There's 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 no debate. You guys are awesome at true plans. You do a lot. You love it. Um, what is it? Can you give any tips to that? What why are you watching Trace better? Are you just more used to it because you just do it so much? Uh, why the love the love <clears throat> for it? It seems to be pretty universal between you and. Uh, Clay and you know Austin and all the guys down there. Man, I think uh, I think the number one reason we don't mind it, and a lot of guys, you know, we seem to excel at it every every time it's there, is because we always feel like you can figure it out. Like, yeah, yeah, it may pick up for this guy or may may slow, slow down for this guy, but it's a constant battle of you know every stage throughout the day trying to figure out exactly what that wind is. Yep. And, you know, you'll hear guys saying, oh, I missed half mil off the right and I yanked over and then I missed off the left. And most of the time it's because people lose that mental focus and they just start sending rounds. That's a good point. You know, not not with precision. And even if even if the wind did screw you, you need to figure out what your high and low was. Okay, well, that was probably like a 17 on that shot. And I I took it down to a 14 and then, oh, it was a, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. You're trying to mentally say, okay, high and low is this. And you're sending that best best guess at the next shot instead of thinking oh i'm getting screwed all day it's a mental grind at staying in it and trying to figure out exactly what the best chance you getting a bullet on that plate are yep and you know i think that's the biggest key is just staying at the grind that's a good okay so that's a that's a good um a good tip of really really narrowing it down are you throughout the day especially on the matches where which happens a lot is generally we get shooting in and in mostly one direction a lot of times are yeah. you every stage are you just working with that mile per hour number and just over and over refining refining and trying to just is that your goal um are you doing um well start with that i mean obviously try to get close to that as throughout the day i'm assuming right so um it is a constant you're constantly trying to fine tune it. Like for instance, you know, I've heard you guys talk about who you follow and I followed you at the finale and you know, you followed Austin this weekend. There's only a few matches and they're typically here East, nothing against them. I mean, you know, they get their panties in a water every time you talk about them, but it's not plug and play here West as it is here East. So a lot of times, you know, if you're not, if you're not helping each other out or listen, I mean, you're losing it. And honestly, you don't need, you don't need the top five shooters there. You just need somebody that's semi-consistent yep. and, and to give you a start. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll look at Austin and I'll be three shooters later and I'll say, Hey, what that last target take? And, you know, he'll say, you know, about a nine mile an hour. And I'll say, okay, good. Yep. Because y- y- you get a crutch there. If you try to start saying, okay, it took 0.3, 0.4, 0.5, 0.7. Not only is his gun, maybe not match up to yours. I want to know mile per hour. And, and typically we try to, use the same direction to win but i want to know mile per hour and then the next guy may get up and it may take a seven for him well then if i'm smart and i pay attention to everybody shooting like if you're an ro at a stage by the end of the day that ro can almost clean it because he watches everybody and he picks up on everything yeah now a good shooter picks up on it real fast okay this guy needed a six this guy needed a nine yep. i was thinking more of a nine i'm going to maybe hug on the lower side of that and you're going to send that best average Yep. you know at, at that target and try to try to go in at each stage for thinking you know i can figure this out um at least the best way to give myself the highest percentage to get bullets on steel yep that that there is so that's good um, stuff no that's good so a lot of you said you meant you uh mentioned degree in mathematics and some things like that i know jake has a very mathematical mind um does calculations very quickly with with different things when you're on a stage um on your dope on your dope card like on your arm board i i there's sometimes i'll write brackets for win values um like i'll write down a you know a 15 and 18 and a 21 or a whatever whatever it happens to be and i'll write all those values and i'll p- trade 
I'll, maybe I'll start the 15 mile an hour bracket and by the third target I'm in the 18 and by the last two I'm in the 21 depending on terrain and different things like that. How how do you write out your arm board? Well, start with start with that and I'll continue the question. How do you how do you usually write your arm board in say a 10 to 15 mile an hour wind? Um, very similar to what you said. I always want more information on that arm board than less. Okay. Um, and the reason being, it's because I'm trying to narrow down that exact win that, you know, this bullet took on this target. Yep. And, you know, the number one thing that to that working is you have to know you're making good shots. You have to follow through. Yep. You have, I'm not a big fundamentals guy, but you have to drive, you have to let the gun do its thing. You know, assuming you're not yanking on the trigger, mm-hmm. you know, anticipating recoil or whatever, you have to make good shots. But um, typically if I'm under 10 miles an hour, you know, if I have a two mile an hour wind, I may put a two and a four. If I have an eight mile an hour wind, I may put a six, eight and 10, you know, as I go up sometimes, most of the time, if I'm above 15, I'm going to do four increments. Mm-hmm. And the reason being, I, you know, it's a, it's not a, it's not a, uh, oh, it's not a get you out of jail card. It's like a, it's like a scale on your arm that lets you figure out what's going on down range. So like you said, if I send a 15 and it, and I need to, you know, I'm not going to be satisfied if it went off the right edge. I'm not going to yank over and hold left edge. I'm going to say, okay, that was two and a half tenths. You know, I needed two and a half more tenths. I'm going to send the two and a half more tenths. And then if it hits in the center, I'm going to say, okay, that took about a 17 to 18 mile an hour wind. Then I'm going to go to the next target. Like you said, assuming you're not going to change, you know, degrees of fire, I'm going to, I'm going to probably go straight down and angle out and round up you know, as you go further, mm-hmm. but, um, okay. Man, I, I do it pretty much similar to you. Okay. So you've got the data on the card. I know guys, Jake doesn't do that as much. He'll write his like one path and then he'll do more of the math in his head on, on the percentage of increase as he goes out a lot of times. If, if you have to make a correction, um, I didn't know if you did that. I just, I get, there's too many things going on a stage. So I want I, it on paper in front of me and I can jump columns back and forth. Right. So I feel like I'm pretty good um, with math in my head, but yep. when I'm shooting, um, one of my things, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but one of the things I learned, I went to the 15 finale, which was my second year. Okay. And, uh, I, uh, watched David Preston and Jake and, and Brian Morgan and all those guys shoot. And I actually took a, I took some notes down. It sounds weird. And he doesn't even know it, but I took some notes <laughs> down on my phone on the way home on the plane. Um, about how relaxed Dave Preston looked while he was shooting. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt, I've always been a faster shooter and I, I, I want to get all my rounds off. Well, Dave shot like he didn't care if the timer was even running mm-hmm. and, and he would shoot and he would watch it. And like, it'd almost be like he paused everything and he would digest it. And then he'd rack the bolt. And I'm like, man, he's got plenty of time. So I guess what I'm saying is I like writing it down on my armband so that I can, you know, not think, I think as little as I can about that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. pay as much attention as I can to what's going on downrange. Yep. And that, that's the main reason I like putting it all out there on my arm. Yep. Yep, that's good. That's really good information. I mean, I, wind is uh, art uh, more so than a science. Uh, but so it's I love hearing, especially you guys talk about it. You know, out west, we it, it, it comes and goes up here, but you guys get it pretty consistently. So it's right. good good to good to chat with that. I do. I like the brackets too. I get there's so many things going on in my head, and it's gonna be real easy to swap. There's a lot. You know, this weekend we hardly wrote down wind a couple stages. Um, hardly wrote down wind besides that. Um, and then there's other matches where you're writing down column after column on every single stage. And it's, uh, it's, it's fun to shoot all the different, the different kinds. So I was, I was curious about that, but, um, anyway, no, that's good stuff. Um, uh, start wrapping this thing up. You for gear, you're running. If you want to give anybody a shout out, um, anything like that. I know you're running, you haven't been reloading for a year. Clay's just loading your ammo for you. Like, <laughs> punk <laughs> he just sent me 360 rounds today so that's awesome i'm good <laughs> that's perfect that's perfect so uh anything else you want to hit on or say or anything before we wrap the sucker up man not that i can think of okay. um except for congrats on the weekend i don't think i've officially told you but yeah shooting up there oh, yet. It. yeah it was a fun one it was a fun one so no i look forward to it it's always good talking to you man thanks for making time um and kind of get a little history of impact and also foundation i guess and uh uh, always good, uh, always good chatting with you and keep me posted on that sheep thing. If I can sneak away, I might, I might pack in with you for round two if he hasn't killed one. So man, if you want to, I'm going, if he hasn't killed, okay. so I'll well, keep me posted. I'll, I'll charge the batteries on the camera gear. So <laughs> all right. Thanks all right, buddy. Man. Talk to you later. Later. Bye.